Welcome back. We're on a hunt for the real unicorns, the companies which are impacting a billion people positively. We profile some of the world's biggest impact investors and the visionary founders that are making a difference in our world. Listeners will have the option to vote or invest in their favorite ventures and get behind their missions as we share the struggles, the passions and the challenges they overcome. In this next episode, Cassandra talks with Jason Ma. Jason is a senior advisor to Tencent Music Entertainment and KK Box Fund KK Farm and a network partner for consumer tech fund Goodwater Capital. He's also a senior advisor to private equity funds advised by Courage Capital Management LLC that invests in catalogs of music rights. As well, Jason is a senior advisor to Wise Road Capital, a global private equity investment company focusing on the semiconductor industry and other emerging high-tech industries. Jason is considered one of the leading financiers to companies, institutions, and individuals investing in Asian media, entertainment, and tech. A very big welcome to Jason Ma. It's an honor to have you on today. The honor is all mine, the mighty Cassandra Harris. Thanks for having me on. (laughs) It's an absolute pleasure. Where are you today? Are you in? LA? I'm in my loft in Los Angeles and it is quiet as usual during this pandemic inside. Well, I'm sure you have some sunshine, a lot more than here in the UK. So can't be all that bad. <laughs> it's nice outside when, once we actually get the chance to get outside. Yeah. People are starting to get outside again. So that's good. Oh, really? Well, it's, as I mentioned, a great pleasure to have you on today. A very informal chat. This is just really an opportunity for some of our listeners to get to know some of the investors and amazing founders that we work with. And I guess we could perhaps maybe just start off by digging into your background. We want to know all about Jason Mars. Where did you come from? What was your childhood like? How did you get into all of this amazing tech and investment activity? Tell us your story. Well, that would take hours. So I'm going to shorten it and get kind of right to how I got into venture. Grew up in the Bay Area in San Jose, California, Silicon Valley. I was actually born in Lubbock, Texas of all places. Dad was an entrepreneur. Mother worked her whole life. She was a single mother. And we both just kind of figured out how to hustle our way through life and survive. And for me, you know, I was literally kicked out of three high schools, (laughs) ended up at my fourth, found Jesus Christ, became born again, as they say, and cleaned up my act. And I was on my way to jail. That's a whole other story. But I ended up never going. But I had a moment of grace, I put it that way. And I used that to do something better with my life at that time. I was causing a lot of trouble in the streets. And, you know, I started a hip-hop Bible study. I know that sounds wild, but I was deeply into hip-hop. I rocked a Run DMC t-shirt from fourth to fifth grade every day, five days a week in elementary school. Started rapping and b-boying when I was in junior high and really took it seriously as far as underground hip-hop culture. And so I was trying to figure out after I got saved, like, how do I get my friends off the street and find Jesus? And so I started my, I guess, one of my first entrepreneurial projects was a hip-hop Bible study in the hood. And so I was like, you know, I got this Chinese American church at a huge auditorium Tuesday night. It was open. No one was there. So I convinced the pastor, let me use it. And I said to all my friends that were either, you know, B-boys or rappers or DJs or graffiti artists, or they were, you know, Southeast Asian gang kids 
or Thespian kids that I had a little side gig on, like, hey, you guys study the Bible with me for an hour. And afterwards, you know, the whole auditorium is yours. And it grew to hundreds and it became massively popular. So even like Jabawakis and a lot of Asian American hip hop artists today kind of go back to that Bible study as their roots that are wildly successful. But what happened was MC Hammer was preaching every Sunday night at a mega church in my city. I used to listen to him every Sunday. And at the time out of high school, my first job was at a tech startup selling web pages to small businesses. And I chased him down. I was just like, man, it'd be so dope if I had Hammer come and speak at my hip hop outreach event, which had like thousands of youth come out in the inner city every year. And so I chased him down, got a hold of him and pitched him the vision. He was like, you know what? I love it. I want to do something for, you know, the youth of the city. I'm down to perform and speak. And then he asked me what I did. And then he was like, I work for a tech startup. And he was like, tech startup? He's like, I'm a venture capitalist. I invest in tech startups. He's like, you're Asian. You must not use computers. Come work for me. And I was like, MC Hammer? <laughs> I was like, yeah, are you kidding me? So quit my job. A week later, went straight to the office in the East Bay. And he was like, Jason, everything's Bluetooth, wireless, you know, rich content, digital distribution, Hollywood's coming to Silicon Valley. And this is 1997. And he's like talking about laying fiber optics. And, you know, we were just like dreaming of a digital world. And at that time, he was best friends with a guy named Ron Conway, who's the godfather of angel investment, SB Angels. And so they were bosom buddies. And, you know, Ron showed him every deal. You know, we were at Twitter, everyone's three people. I drove him to the YouTube office when I was five people. Salesforce with Mark Benioff and it was like 10 people, right? I was a teenager. I was a kid. I didn't know what was going on, but I was just watching it wide-eyed. And at the same time, he was teaching me about the music industry and the rap industry and radio and Hayola and Napster and all these different things. So long story short was he taught me what I knew, which was getting on the inside of Silicon Valley and being able to see the evolution and revolution of Silicon Valley 2.0. As we know today, that Hollywood now is controlled by not major studios like Sony and Warner that control by Silicon Valley, Facebook, Amazon, Apple, and that was Google. And Hammer did very well for himself. And he ended up investing and saving a movie called Better Luck Tomorrow, which was Justin Lin, the director of Fast and Furious franchise, 3, 4, 5, and 6, now 9 and 10. First independent Asian-American film called Better Luck Tomorrow that ended up winning Sundance. And that movie changed many people's lives, including myself, right? It's the first time I saw on the film screen you know, an all Asian American cast is 20 years before Crazy Rich Asians. And it was just done excellent. And it was done right. And it was dope. And it was just an amazing groundbreaking film. And it broke the careers of John Cho from Harold and Kumar and Sung Kang, who's Han and Fast and Furious franchise and Jason Tobin Warrior, that's on HBO Max. And of course, Justin Lin. And so when I saw that film, it won Sundance, got picked up by Viacom, was distributed by MTV at the time. I was like, wow, this is the first time I've seen Asians represented on the silver screen the correct way. And I was like, this is what I want to do for the rest of my life. I want to represent Asian culture, mainstream media, and correct the wrong perceptions and stereotypes that Western media has put upon Asian culture globally. And so that's where the journey began. And then ended up doing a little missionary stint for four years because my pastor told me Hollywood's not God's calling for me, but the devil's. And so Hammer was like, go do God's work first. And that's what I did. I ended up going to 40 countries, sort of with 300 missions in about a four or five year time span. And that really laid the groundwork for me, really helped me understand service and just whether I was living in a bush or a tree in Africa or whether it was at a fancy hotel, it was just understanding that, you know, life isn't about all these different things that people think we need, but most people in the world that have nothing are probably the happiest people in the world. But 
at the same time, we all have a human condition of just needing love. And whether you're rich or poor, we're all in need of loving someone and being loved. And I took that with me as I went back into the media entertainment industry, the VC world. This is probably around 2007. I invested in my first entertainment media company, which was a music label and a management company, advertising company called PCA. But anyways, the story goes from there. Well, I've rattled off based on the bio that you sent me. Trilla, Stampede Ventures, 88 Rising Zash Global Media. Which one came first, East West Ventures? I mean, obviously, I've, I've dealt a little bit with your Stampede Ventures team. I've just seen all of the media announcements about Zash Global Media, which looks phenomenal. I'd love to talk about all of these, Jason. So perhaps maybe you could give us a little bit of a background on each one of these and you know, some of the investment activity there and some of the activity within media and entertainment that you really focus on at the moment. Yeah, you know, I think it goes back to my mission is to bridge East and West through media, entertainment, technology, through stories and talent. So it's a combination of both content and technology. I don't think there's too many of us that kind of know how to drive on both lanes and the intersection of the two, what I call contact, right? It's both content and tech. And, you know, I have a deep background in the entertainment media industry, but also have a deep background in venture capital and seeing the intersection between the two because consumer is now tech and tech is now consumer and content is king. But as one mentor of mine told me that distribution is emperor, but, you know, you can have Netflix, which is a technology company, but you don't have Netflix without House of Cards, right? You don't have Netflix without Orange is the New Black. And so you need both, right? And I think that's why all these major studios are now realizing, hey, we have the content, but now we need to get into the tech. And that's why everyone's launching an OTT streaming platform. And that's what we're moving into now, a digital new continent that we live in. My first company was this company, PCA. And it was a music label, management, entertainment, media company. We were lucky to have the first Asian-American hip-hop artist and group reach number one of the Billboard charts. That was Far East Movement with a song called Like a G6. And then another rapper named MC Jin, who was the first Asian American rapper signed to a major label, Rough Riders. And then he became now the biggest rapper and one of the biggest actors in, in China. And then I got lucky and was able to find a little R&B artist named Bruno Mars, who did four songs with me in another lifetime. I was a spoken word rap artist. <laughs> me and Bruno had four tracks independently before he got signed to Atlantic. And so, you know, I was able to leverage venture, also entertainment and media, and start a company that really encapsulated my passion, which is the bridge East and West. And then from there, that laid the foundation for East West Ventures, which is now our brand strategy investment firm. Then over a billion in transactions over the last decade, I started it with Cher Wing, the founder of HTC Corporation in Taiwan, and my best friend, Phil Chen, who was leading all venture investments for HTC at their height, right? This is when there were 100 million handsets worldwide, and it created the Android smartphone. And their biggest markets were US and China. And Cher and Phil were like, hey, Jason, you know, we need more premium content. There's not much more technologically we can do with the smartphone. We have the screen, we have the eyeballs, we need the content. And, you know, we're not familiar with Hollywood. So why don't you launch East West? And that's where we started. And so we started representing talent in Asia into Hollywood and talent IP from Hollywood into Asia strategically with HTC. And that's how it kind of opened the doors to the agencies, the studios. And we started representing talent. We started representing IP, packaging, selling. We started doing a lot of M&A and started doing a lot of transactions as we knew the players on the Hollywood side, as well as the players on the Asia capital market side and the industry players as well. And so anyways, from there, I began to see like this massive intersection 
where content and culture was bridging East and West. And China was quickly becoming the biggest entertainment consumption market in the world, right? You're talking about just this last February, right out of COVID, China had its biggest box office in history. I was with the producer of High Moms, independent film that was made for $30 million. It made over $830 million US dollars in China alone in the box office. I mean, that number is astronomical. Right. I mean, Warner Brothers would be happy if one of the films did that worldwide, it, it would return their entire slate. Right. So what I realized at that point was, OK, there really is this true intersection. You have the largest population in the planet. Two thirds of the world is Asian, East Asia, West Asia combined. And they're hungry for content. How are you going to reach them? It's going to be through technology. And I realized at that time around 2015 that, you know, all these multi-channel networks are exploding on YouTube. You had Vice Media, you had Fox, you had Tastemade, you had full screen, you had Maker Studios. And I was like, why isn't there like an Asian digital media channel representing Asian youth culture on YouTube to the world, right? And that's where everyone's consuming content. It's not on cable, it's on digital. So I started 88 Rising. And so basically we launched 88 Rising and originally it was to be like a vice media meets bad boy records for Asian culture. And we were able to find some of the best new young Asian artists who are now topping the charts and headlining Coachella, like Joji and Nikki and Rich Brian, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, and built that company to where it's at now over almost a hundred staff and and billions and billions of views and, and streams and tens of millions of followers and all backed by venture capital. But no one had ever created a niche platform in media with venture with a 360 strategy of owning the artists, owning the content, owning the live festival IP, owning the merch. And since then, I've had at least 50 plus presentations saying, we're the 88 rising of reggaeton, we're the 88 rising of Afrobeats, we're the 88 rising of TikTok girls. So that was really interesting. And taking an approach of venture into music and entertainment. And then from there, you know, after I we vested out of the company, I was tapped by Greg Sullivan and the former president of Warner Brothers. And basically he was like, Jason, I'm creating all this incredible IP and billion dollar franchise value for Warner. But I myself don't have equity and the studio doesn't really control these projects like Lego. I just made the movie when everyone told me I was dumb to make it. It did 5X increase in global Lego sales. And we don't own one share of Lego. He's like, this is crazy. He's like, Jason, I want to leave Warner. Let's go buy Mattel toys and then I'll make the Hot Wheels and Barbie movie. And that was saying a lot for a guy that did 30 billion in box office and 125 plus films, technically the most successful studio president in history. So I introduced him to Gideon Yu, who's a former CFO of Facebook and YouTube. We started Stampede. We now control over 150 IP. We have 60 film and TV projects in development and production half a dozen in the can. And we're preparing to be Warner Brothers Disney 2.0. And that's where I begin to learn about premium content, the value of premium content, and the value of the franchise and the IP that's worth billions per franchise, right? And so imagine if we're able to create the next Harry Potter, or the next Hunger Games, or the next, you know, whatever it might be, or, or Hangover, you know, the value intrinsically that's in that IP is on and on and on in every single medium. And so that's why we started Stampede, and that's where I continue to help the company expand, and we're continually growing. And then from there, I got blessed, right? I got lucky. I started investing a lot more, and our venture capital firm, Goodwater Capital, which now is the largest Asian-American-founded venture capital firm, Chiwa Chen, Eric Kim, we manage over $2 billion of investment capital with almost a dozen unicorns in just the six years that we've launched, and it's all through data, software, and AI that we identify the types of companies. We monitor 4 million apps a day five terabytes a month of data. And we see companies early stage through our data software and AI, not through hustling and networking and just hearing pitches, right? We check the data, we understand the data, we then reach out to the companies, 
give that data to them and then say we want to invest. So give you an example, Stash, which is now 1.5 billion plus valuation, one of the top fintech consumer apps out there in America. And we found it at three people when it was only three months old in the app store and it was doing four times the transaction volume of E-Trade. I'm like, what is this? Reached out to them directly, gave them data and have been the largest investor and shareholders with them until today. Same thing with Toss, the biggest neobank in South Korea. Last valuation was 14 billion. Found them at seed through the software. And so we found Musical.ly at that time, same thing. And it was tracking and the MAU, DAU, the growth, retention. And again, this is where I was able to leverage my experience in Hollywood and entertainment and talent and content into venture capital and tech. So at the time, Greylock was leading the next round. It was the hottest deal in the Valley. Everyone was trying to get in. We're this new little fund. How are we going to get allocation? And so it sounds like a crazy story, but it's a true story. But I was in Shanghai with Paris Hilton. <laughs> and I was you know, with Paris and we were at the Shanghai Fashion Week. And I was like, Paris, you got to check out this new app called Musical.ly. All the kids are on it. And she's like, what is it? I was like, it's like a karaoke singing app. And she's like, checking it out. She's like, well, this is actually really cool. And I was like, you want to go meet the founders? They're actually based here in Shanghai. So we actually walked her into the musically office in Shanghai. I was like 40 Chinese kids, you know, all mostly data scientists and engineers and designers. And there was June and Lewis, the co-founders. And there was Paris Hilton <laughs> with this beautiful, <laughs> striking blonde, Paris Hilton, one of the most famous human beings on planet Earth, millennial history. And she walks in and she starts playing with the app. She makes her first musically. And then within a few days, I said, let's test your live stream was lively at the time for Paris's DJ set in Macau. And so we did the first live stream for Musical.ly in Macau with Paris Sultan. And they saw the power of celebrity. She was like the first real celebrity on Musical.ly up until that point. It's just a bunch of tween kids in America. And I said, do you want more of this? And they're like, well, who else can you get? I said, actually, I know the management at the time of Ariana Grande. And I can pitch her and try to get her on the platform and use Musical.ly and really launch and scale you guys from there and solidify and validate you guys as a real app for you know the new generation of celebs. And they were like, well, let's do it. And I was like, I'm not going to do it unless you give us allocation. And that's how we got allocation in Musical.ly. So you know, we were able to invest into that round. And 18 months later or so, it was acquired by ByteDance. And that was TikTok and the biggest startup in the world with whatever, right? A 400 billion plus valuation. So you know, that was very interesting. I was able to leverage my experience in media and entertainment, but then also leverage that for tech, right? And consumer tech. And then similarly with Triller, it was kind of a similar situation, right? About two years later, I was able to meet Mike Lou, who's the CEO of Triller at the time, through a friend from Denrock, Adam, he introduced me and he showed me the product. And I was like, wow, this is actually very similar to Musical.ly. And there was some differentiations, right, that they were doing that were different from Musical.ly. And he was telling me how it was really prominent among the hip hop culture and community in America. And so we're tracking at the time, but the MAU, DAU through our software is still very, very low retention. But you could see that there was something there. And the question was, could it break out from just, you know, the hip hop culture to mainstream culture? But as you know, hip hop is mainstream culture and everything that is mainstream starts with hip hop. And so I was tracking that company. At the same time, I was tracking Low Motive. Another good friend of mine who's an angel investor in Low Motive, he introduced me to Paul. And I met Paul and I met Mike at the same time and introduced them both to our firm, Goodwater. And both of them were tracking in this very niche markets at the time, but we kept an eye on both of them. And then so what happened was about a year later, 2019 early, Cardi B, Chance the Rapper, like DJ Khaled started posting trailer videos. 50 Cent started posting low motive videos. And I was like, this is really interesting. And they're not paying them. And I said, I've seen this narrative before. And back into your backyard, I was in London at a Founders Forum event with Brent Halberman speaking. And my only Asian friend in London, his name is Lord Wei. And he's a Lord in the House of Lords. He's the only Asian guy in the House of Lords. And he was like, Jason, you're in London. I finally, let's meet and let me give you a tour of the House of Lords. And I was like, 
sure, why not? So I, I took like two hours out of the, the conference, went down to the House of Lords, went through the whole security thing. He's giving me the whole tour of the place. And he's like, yo, you know, let me take you to this tea house. This is where like... I'm sure he didn't say yo, Jason. <laughs> he definitely didn't say yo. So we go into the tea house. He's like, come here, let me show you the House of Lords tea house. And I was like, all right. So we walk in, we're getting tea and crackers. And then there's like these three friends of his. And he's like, Oh my gosh, Jason, what a coincidence. You should meet these three friends of mine. They're Oxford AI professors and they actually have a music AI app that they're developing. And they're like, oh, great to me. He's like, Jason works with Tencent Music and KKBox and invests in music tech and music. And they're like, oh my gosh, we have to meet you. We have to share with you what we're building. And so I was like, man, I'm leaving in like 36 hours, but let me just find like 30 minutes. So we found 30 minutes and we literally at a restaurant or a pub across from where Founders Forum was having their conference and they show me their tech. It was called Mass Tracks. It was an app that was able to remix and edit any photo, video content you gave it to any song and spit out for you automatically a music video. And it was really amazing. And I was like, what are you guys doing with this? And they're like, well, we got an offer from Facebook for X amount of pounds. We were thinking about raising 15 million pounds to go compete against TikTok. And I was like, I got a better idea for you. There's this company called Triller that my partners are looking to potentially acquire. What if you came back with me to LA and we merged you with Triller so now we have a real AI tech and we create TikTok too. And bloody hell, they agreed. They came over to LA and over a few months of negotiations, we got the deal done. I brought in strategic capital from Taiwan and Indonesia, my strategic LPs, and we were able to create the acquisition, which then became Triller Holdings or Triller Holco, or what we know Triller 2.0 as it is now. And so it was just a wild ride. It's only been less than two years. And you know, when we acquired it, it was announced at pre-100 million valuation. And now we've raised so many rounds of capital at over a billion unicorn valuation. And, you know, I was just thankful to be in the right place at the right time. And I was able to broker and bring Mike Tyson to the platform, which has now created this whole entire <laughs> fight platform and revenue generating business for Triller that's differentiated us from TikTok or anyone else. And then I'm a financier. I hold warrants in the company, but, you know, I'm not day-to-day operational. And so, Vincent Butter, who was on the board of Triller, and he was the company that sold Triller to me and my partners at the time, Carnegie Technologies. And he then tapped me and said, Jason, I'm actually going to do a reverse takeover of a NASDAQ public company. And we want to turn it into the next generation Viacom. And my partner is Ted Farnsworth, the former chairman of MoviePass. And he's like, Jason, you know, you're one of the few guys that understands media and tech. You know, we did Triller together and let's go and build, you know, a conglomerate that can acquire all the future of media, right? So short form interactive, premium content, AR, VR, live stream, e-commerce, interactive. That was the whole focus. We would build a next generation, future of media, new media conglomerate. So that's when I said, well, you know what? There is a company that I know that is also in the short form video space that I've been tracking for years, and that was Low Motive. And Low Motive, if you don't know, is similar to TikTok controller, but really it's an editing platform for music and for creators. And it's incredibly popular, top app against TikTok in Brazil specifically, and in the US and around other areas of the world like India. And so we made a play and we were able to acquire Low Motive. We announced it a few months ago, and we're going to finish the full transaction actually at the end of this week. And we're super excited. And we have a bunch of other targets that we're going to acquire in the new media space. And you know, we want to build the new Viacom. That's what Zash is all about. And the day we announced, crazy enough, it was the number one traded stock in the world on that Thursday when we announced. And it's just been a blessing and a wild ride and just, just the beginning. Well, you have a stellar team involved in that company too. I guess one question from my end would be, you know, obviously you talked a lot about content, lifestyle, music, entertainment. 
and the flow between all those different elements. How do you think your work in this space is helping to impact humanity at scale? Obviously, this podcast is all about finding the amazing founders out there that are creating true impact with their businesses, but also the great investors that are backing them. So how's your work in all of this really helping humanity? It's a great question. And it's a deeper question. When you think about helping humanity, what does that entail, right? Are we talking about increasing joy? Are we talking about increasing peace? Are we helping those who need the most help, the poor, the orphan, the widow? I think that's a very general way of asking the question. I think obviously the rise of ESG and the UN Sustainable Development Goals, I guess maybe answer it in both ways. How are you doing it from a general perspective? But then maybe if you want to be specific with reference to the SDGs, then you can do so too. Well, I think 20 years ago, no one would have thought that the world would be controlled by consumer technology, that it would be controlled by Silicon Valley. As I said before, what controls the world right now? Facebook, Amazon, Apple, Netflix, Google. It's not the legacy companies that we once knew, like General Electric or Ford or even Warner Brothers or Disney. It's technology, right? You look to China, it's BAT and now BBAT, right? It's ByteDance, Baidu, Alibaba, Tencent, you know, behind that iron wall. And so what is controlling and impacting the entire world population that has a mobile smartphone is consumer tech. Now, if you were to tell me the founders of those companies, when they created them, did they go out to impact the world and create positive change? Maybe, maybe not. I think maybe they didn't realize what they were going to create was going to literally control billions of eyeballs on a daily basis. But I think, you know, Mark Zuckerberg started Facebook One, just connect his friends, right? And, and, and stay in touch. Right. It was a social networking app. You know, I think when Reed started Netflix, he just wanted to get content, you know, to the everyday consumer in a more effective and efficient way. And so is it helping people? It really depends. Right. Because these are platforms and these platforms have the ability to do good or bad. Right. I mean, look at what happened with politics in the last election. Did you think Mark Zuckerberg ever thought he would be facing the Senate? <laughs> and and that the outcome of a 2016 election hinged on Facebook, right? And that Russian cyber spies came in and, and influenced it a certain way for it to actually create an outcome that ended up becoming, for many people, negative, right? I don't think so. But that is the responsibility of consumer technology today. That's why I, I invest in consumer tech. That's why I invested in these companies, because I know they are what is influencing the culture society, the world, right? And how you control these platforms for good or for evil is really a responsibility when you watch the Netflix documentary, The Social Dilemma, right? It was like all these engineers, all these executives, the founder of Pinterest was like, we didn't know what we were creating. We didn't realize it was going to literally impact a 12-year-old girl to want to commit suicide because she felt like her ears or her nose was too big. Right. So there is a responsibility. And I do think that there is a responsibility to censor and there is a responsibility to gate, you know, certain types of content because it can cause harm. And yes, we live in a country of democracy and freedom of will and freedom of, of speech, but there's also certain types of speech or certain types of choices that hurt people and kill people. 
and look at the riots. Just look at what's going on in the world today, right? It's like every week, it's like some other uprising, some other protest, some I'm fighting Asian hate. My brothers are fighting black crime and hate against African-Americans. There's Palestinians in Israel against each other. And it's all through what? Social media, right? I see you promoting a lot about, you know, stop Asian hate. That seems to be something that you are very passionate about supporting and with reference to that challenge that we essentially face in humanity. And I hear you. What you're saying is completely correct. We really do need to use these platforms in the right way and be mindful of the power that they have. Maybe talk to me a little bit about your work in that space. How are you helping to stop Asian hate through your distribution and your media platforms or your work in the space? I mean, I think everyone has their responsibility and everyone has their ability to do something with what they have versus what they don't have. I'm not a politician. I've never been involved in policy. I don't strive to be or ever want to be, but it really came out of trial and trauma, right? I had a phone call from my friend Herman Martyr, who's on the President's Commission for Asian American Pacific Islanders, and he called me after the Atlanta shootings where six Asian women were murdered at gunpoint through a hate crime, and there were multiple other attacks in New York and the Bay Area, and he said, Jason, I'm one of the very few API leaders on Capitol Hill trying to do anything. And there's not enough support. There's not enough help. We don't have our own NAACP. We don't have an Asian American museum at Smithsonian. We've never even had a march on Washington, D.C. Mall in the history of America as Asian Americans. And, you know, I was like, well, what does the NAACP have that we don't have? He's like, unity, hundreds of millions of dollars every year, you know, major law firms, direct influence of the DOJ, and, you know, tens of millions of people ready to sign a petition or boycott at any moment. And I was like, that's interesting. And I was like, you know, I don't know what I can do, but maybe I can just email a few of my API friends in different sectors who are leaders and you can talk to them. And in a moment of desperation, I just tried to do what I could do. That email ended up getting responses from 12 leaders to over 70 in a matter of seven days to the point I got a phone call from the White House calling me saying, are you Jason Ma? We're holding this conference call with Asian American leaders of who's who. And thank you for what you're doing. But, you know, we would like to engage and let's organize. And my whole thing was everyone was doing something, but everything was disparate and everything was apart. And everyone had a different GoFundMe and a different cause and a different foundation. And I was like, we need to talk to each other, right? The LGBT community has done an incredible job with that over the last few decades and have created policy change by United Together. The Jewish community, the African-American community, the Latinx community, but the Asian-American community is very, very difficult because you're talking about over 50 different Asian ethnic groups, right? In America with a five, 6% population of less than 25 million. And so that was the goal. We ended up having this call and Congresswoman Judy Chu was on it, Lisa Ling, Daniel Day Kim, and you know White House officials and representatives and leaders from advertising in the API community to the Asian American church community. And it was great to have everyone talk. So everyone knew we're all in this together. We have to fight together. We have to unite together. And we have to pull our resources together to go and make change. And through that, you know, I found out, wow, my venture capital partner, Eric Kim, was talking to Jeremy at Lightspeed and Hans at GGV, and they're already raising a billion dollar fund to fight API 
justice causes. Then my friend Billy Mata, the head of IW Global Group, was already talking to Smithsonian and was already getting a whole entire section of Smithsonian to create an API National Museum. And then my friend Bing over at Gold House was like, yo, we're already planning a march on Washington. And so I always say that if you want to do God's work, you have to find out what God is doing and join them. Like God's already working, but you just got to recognize and then organize around it. And so that was like me where I was doing my little part was I used to work with Jen, the rapper that was signed to Rough Riders. And I was hosting Wyclef with Greg Silverman on a clubhouse because we're doing a TV series with Wyclef Sean from the Fugees. And I saw Jen in in the clubhouse. I called him up because him and Clef did his first song 20 years ago on the Rough Riders label called Learn Chinese. They reconnected talked for the first time in 20 years, started trading bars on the clubhouse. And of course, a month and a half later, all this Asian hate crime starts happening. Jin goes out to a rally with 10,000 kids in Chinatown, New York, starts speaking about anti-Asian hate. His son's eight years old named Chance. He says, Chance, you want to say something? And Chance says, stop the hatred. Crowd erupts. And he gets inspired to make a song called Stop the Hatred. His wife calls me and says, hey, Jason, we should put someone on this track. And I was like, what about Wyclef? So Wyclef came on the track. We made the song. My homie Bao Nguyen, who directed Be Water, the 30 for 30 ESPN special documentary for Bruce Lee. We shot the music video in Chinatown, New York, three weeks ago with kids holding up pictures of their grandparents in Chinatown, New York. Shot it at the famous Golden Chinese restaurant in Chinatown, New York. And we dropped it just last week. And it was a visual work of art between African and Asian American solidarity. That there was an African American rapper a Black rapper who supported an Asian-American rapper 20 years ago, and 20 years later, here they're coming back together in unity, saying, hey, we're not about this hate against one another. Our communities have never been about this racism against one another. We have always been about supporting one another, and now is the time to come together, reconcile, and heal, and bring peace to both cultures and all cultures in America. And then a hate crime against anyone is a hate crime against everyone. And it's not just against Asians, it's against Blacks, against Browns, against White, it's against, you know, gold. It's all against, you know, all we have to come together. So anyway, so I've been pushing on that and doing what I can, which is like hip hop and tech and content. Okay, like at least I'm not gonna do a little bit there. But it's so amazing, like working with TAF, the Asian American Foundation, you know, they just raised 250 million from the biggest Asian American leaders like Joe Tsai and Joe Bay. And now they're doing a whole Times Square you know, MTV Viacom launched for Asian American Pacific Heritage Month with the biggest artists in Asian America in the world. And it's starting to happen for the first time. Asian American Pacific Islanders are stepping up. We're uniting as one voice and we're actually standing up for our culture and not playing to that model minority myth anymore and saying, hey, you know, we have to have a seat at the table. We have to have a voice, but still a long way to go. This is going to be a 20 year project, but, you know, we're going to get there. What about your venture investment activity, Jason? Are there any amazing deals that you're looking at with reference to impact? I know you've got one in, I think, in the energy space, and obviously you've got loads that you're looking at in Goodwater Capital. Are there any interesting ones that you'd like to chat about? There's a ton. You know, I do from East West Ventures, I do early stage, pre seed, seed, up to Series A, Goodwater. You know, we go from seed all the way to late stage growth. But, you know, at Goodwater, our vision and mission is to empower entrepreneurs who are changing the world. And that's what it is about. It's about positive impact and positive change. I invested in a company that is helping family offices and corporations effectively deploy capital to the most needed areas of society, ESG, and whether it's environment, right, or sustainability, or green, or helping the poor, or education. And this company is called Humanitas, H-U-M-A-N-I-T-A-S. 
And I really love this company. They're using AI for social impact infrastructure for the wealthy to be able to deploy capital to those most in need in the most effective and strategic and efficient way. So basically, they, they are like an API layer that allows you to deliver personalized social impact experiences to the users. And it improves this by giving them an experience directly with who they're actually helping. And so it's almost like a back-end dashboard. And you can actually see, okay, I want to give towards you know this specific cause or that specific cause. And then you can actually deploy that capital and see others that are doing it and see the effects of it in real time. So it's it's really, really cool. I think you know they're helping businesses do good, basically. It's kind of like you know what Mark Benioff decided to give, <clears throat> I think, 1% of all Salesforce's revenue right to, 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 to impact and to volunteering time. So yeah, there's companies like this that I think are great. So with Goodwater Capital, you're looking for seed stage ventures. What about East West and any of the other funds that you advise on? If any of the startup ventures out there listening or growth ventures out there listening needed to get in touch, perhaps maybe give a little bit of a background on what kind of ventures you're looking for at what stage and you know maybe the kinds of sector so that they're clear about yeah, any outreach to you. Thank you. East-West Ventures, we are very unique and very specific. It's the reason why we're called East-West Ventures, right? So we invest in pre-seed, seed, early stage, consumer brands, and consumer tech backed by influence. And so we believe in three things, influencer, the growing influencer economy, premium content, and direct-to-consumer D2C. And so we work exclusively with CAA. There's a company called CAA Caravan that is kind of an internal Procter & Gamble at CAA that uses data to identify what products with which celebrities should be created together to impact culture and the consumer market. And so we take all those products to Asia. And so our play is any company we invest in outside of Asia in consumer brands, consumer tech, we bring into Asia and our ecosystem. Any company we invest from Asia in our ecosystem, we bring outside of Asia, right, to the rest of the globe. And so that's very, very specific in what we do. And we focus, like I said, on influence, on content, and on D2C. Goodwater is more of a generalist fund, but again, very specific, only focused on consumer technology. We believe in the power of consumer technology, like I said before earlier in this interview, that we believe that is what's changing the face of the earth. And so we invest in entrepreneurs with big ideas that can create massive scale that can impact billions of people. And so we invest from early stage all the way to late stage. And so our goal is in the next 10 years to invest in 10,000 startups in the next 10 years through our data software and our flywheel effect, because we don't actually have to travel to Croatia. Most of our unicorns and top companies in our portfolio now are coming outside the US. And so that's all through our data software and our AI discovering it. And so, you know, we want to be able to invest at scale and just send a DocuSign and, and get a digital signature and wire the check. And so we want to be the fastest growing and at a scale, the most active seed stage, early stage investor in Silicon Valley to the world. And also then doubling down right on the winners and going with them all the way to growth to IPO or acquisition. And so consumer tech is what we only focus on at Goodwater Capital. And, you know, I have other funds that I'm an LP in or I advise, like Soma Capital, that's focused on enterprise. Uh, they have over 16 unicorns in the old round of DBA. Rockstar does a majority of the YC top performing companies. Mantis Ventures with the chain smokers, they're incredible. They're also leveraging influence and, and access to tech, and they have incredible deal flow. 
And then, of course, in music, I also advise a fund called KK Farm, which is a fund with the two biggest digital streaming platforms in Greater China, which is KK Box out of Taiwan and Tencent Music out of China. And we focus specifically on music tech and independent music artists and labels. So, you know, there's a lot going on. We get hundreds of deals every month. And, you know, we're looking at everything across the board. But for me, it's consumer and it's technology. And that's where I love to invest and, of course, building brands. Well, thank you. That's super useful. One last question, Jason. You've had a very colorful journey. I think a very non-traditional step up the ladder, you might say. So I think just listening to what you said today is super inspiring. And if there's anything that you might want to impart to help other people on their career journey, just like you have moved through yours, it would be very, very useful for you to maybe share. Yeah, I think you have to just be comfortable with yourself. You have to accept yourself, all your flaws, all your strengths and your weaknesses, your failures and successes. Because as a founder, you're going to fail. And that's the prerequisite to actually being successful is learning to fail, but to learn to fail forward. And learning to accept yourself and not care what other people think about you, but to continually believe in yourself and believe in your idea, regardless of how many times you fall you make mistakes or people reject your idea or how many times your company doesn't work and you have to start another one or you have to fix it or pivot, you know, it's just, it's this constant self-belief, self-reflection and self-love and acceptance that you have to continually find time to remind yourself who you are and why you're doing it. I think a lot of people do things without knowing why and only realize later that the intention behind it was not as pure or as thought through clearly as they thought because they realized like my buddy, Justin Kahn, he was like, want to be successful. And he built Twitch. He built other companies that were massively successful. But then he realized, you know, in his own podcast, he talks about it, that he was empty and he, he gained success and he, he gained fame and he gained power and influence, but it didn't make him happy. And what he realized, what really made him happy was the actual principles of being an entrepreneur, creating new ideas, pursuing them and creating change and helping other people learn that and do that or create change for the right reasons. And so anyways, I think it really comes down to self-love, self-acceptance and self-belief. And once you take time out on a daily, weekly, monthly, yearly basis to get away from all the noise and all the busyness and to remind yourself that you are good, you are great. And regardless of what people think or say or do, you are okay and you can do it. And, and I think that is absolutely intrinsic and, and important and has to be repeated in your mind to win. So yeah, self-love. I love that. Thank you so much, Jason. I really, really appreciate your time today. Thank you for inspiring all of us. And thank you so much. Really appreciate it. Thanks for listening. Follow us on Instagram and Facebook and visit our website to tune in to many more founder and investor stories. Head there to back your favorite ventures which are changing the world with their business models to make a difference. Listeners are encouraged to vote and invest now. Oh,